What makes a law firm? It's about passion, knowledge, understanding, and service. That's what defines Fluxman's. In this podcast series, we take you behind the desks of some of South Africa's smartest legal minds. I had the great pleasure of sitting down to talk to a man of enormous experience, the CEO of Fluxman's. His name is Philip Vallett, and he's an attorney of some repute who uh, presides over this incredible collection of great legal minds that forms the center of Fluxman's attorneys. Phil, how much has changed over the years? How much have you seen change happening? There are huge changes, and, um, and it's challenging. Right. It's challenging for us because um, there's been a cultural shift, from in, even in our firm. We've always had a history that we were very fixated on culture, and the culture was a friendly culture. You'll feel it when you come in the firm, and, and respect. Um, we didn't... We didn't, I didn't encourage any arguments. For example, in our directors' meetings, there are 35 of us sitting around the table. Wow. Nothing contentious is ever discussed in a directors' meeting itself because once something is said, it can't be unsaid. So, mm-hmm. and, and, and we focus very much on culture. Um, culture is now under threat, and it's under threat because things are so expensive and money has entered into the arena. Right. So we used to say that if you come to Fluxman's, you're not coming for the money, you're coming for the lifestyle. And it's true. But that the amount of money we did pay was enough. But today, uh, it's not enough sometimes, especially for guys who have to educate their kids. Well, I'm, I'm curious about how the whole legal fraternity in South Africa has, has changed its view on, on the practice, on firms, on what it means to be a partner, what it means to be an associate these days, what it means to be a candidate attorney in one of the big firms, and particularly how you've navigated that during your time here at Fluxman's. Well, the, the, the most startling fact is that lawyers are far less collegial than we used to be. Um, that's a sad thing. That's a very sad thing. Yeah, and that, that to me is... Is, is the saddest thing about our profession is that the 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 respect that you used to have, we used to have for each other is lacking, and I don't know what has caused that. I think it may be the size of the firms, and it may be the the shifting nature of of business and the size you have to be. When I started, we there were only small firms in South Africa. We didn't know about big firms. I think the biggest firm might have been twenty partners. Um, that would have been Weber Wenzel or the Nice Rates. Sure. And um, Edward Nathan, I can remember, was the same size as we were. I was a Trafali winner. Yeah. So there weren't any really, really large corporate firms, and all the lawyers knew each other. Uh, and, we, and it was a... And that gradually started to shift, and it started to shift into a much more corporate space. Uh, Did it become adversarial? Adversarial, much more, much more than that. And I think it's the training. Um, that they give their lawyers because they, they lawyers have, I don't know, we've lost, we've lost the do, respect do we had might, for each other. Do you think it might also have to do with like timesheets and, and billable hours? Everything and to do all with All of that. that, Very, those are strictures on people being familiar and spending an extra 10 minutes with someone and, and talking in terms of, you know, are you interested in this? Do you know about that? How's your wife? 
You know, what's well, happening? Laws, laws become a business more than a practice. Um, we still don't have timesheets at Fluxman's. And that must be quite a rare thing. I'm told it's a rare thing, but we've never had a timesheet. Um, if you're a partner here, we trust you that you'll, that you'll do the time. Mm. And we can see your numbers at the end of the day, but I don't, know, I don't want to know where you spend your time. As long as at the end of the month you have fairly decent numbers, you can live the life you want to live. And is that also dependent on clients? Because if you have a certain kind of client, they're going to want certain things. No, they will. They and will. other clients yes. will trust no, you. No, they will, but they won't ask you for a timesheet. Mm. Um, when we bill, uh, the, when you're billing a client, then you're keeping a timesheet. But you're keeping the timesheet for yourself for the right. purpose of billing, and the, you'll send the timesheet down to the um, accounting department, and they will work out how much time you've got and what your fee is compared to your rate. But it's not something that I would look at. But, but you, you wouldn't have to report to me on your time. No, sure. But but I'm I'm curious also because you have clients that have have long-standing relationships with this firm. Yes, I do. And who regard that as the primary reason that they like doing business with you. Yeah. I mean, apart mm. from the, the fact that you have hugely competent lawyers and you guys deliver great work, it's also about those relationships, right? Yes. It's, we, we, I would put Fluxman's as more, more of a middle cap company um, because we depend on relationships that we have within, that, within our client. We're not, we're, not, uh, we're not a big firm. We're, what, 60 lawyers. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the bigger firms are over 200 lawyers. We can do the same work. Um, we'll do it with less people, but our rates are the same. Right. And I think our relationships with the clients are different. But it takes a very competent CEO to use Fluxman's for his major work because CEOs today are, are, are nervous about their own position. And so if you're looking to cover your bum, you're going to go to a bigger firm. And then it's not your fault, it's their fault. Well, I had a, 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 an incident, well, a, a legal situation not so long ago, and I remember the people who I was up against brought in 14 lawyers and, you know, they, they looked like they meant business <clears throat> and they ended up losing anyway, which I'm, I'm, I was very pleased with because I had one lawyer and one advocate. And and I thought at the time the reason that they're doing this is so that they can be seen to be more than they are. It's not really about the quality of the work. One person can argue as effectively as I think in litigation the 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 question is how good is your case? Mm. Uh, cases win cases. Yeah. Um, you can lose a case because you haven't prepared, but at the end of the day, if you've prepared your case and you have the law on your side, you should win it. It doesn't matter how many lawyers are on the other side. Depends on your case, and um, I think the 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 one of the biggest issues in winning a good case is preparation. So, if you do the preparation, you'll know whether you've got a good case or not. You have personally, over the years, done a lot of uh, of, of commercial law, business rescue, that kind of thing. Not really business rescue. That's dealt with by Strom and others here. I've done a lot of commercial work. Right. Um, what's, the, what's the thing there that drew you in in the first place? Because you could have specialized in anything, I'm sure. I think it was uh, when Rafaeli Wiener, where I was at, when we merged with Fluxman's, I worked with um, a guy called Joe Rabinovitz and Gerald Rubenstein. They were doyens mm. of the patient, and they, they really knew what they were doing, and I learned from them. So 
I started, they started putting me on the boards of companies for whom we acted. And that was about, started about 25 years ago. So for the last 25 years, um, I've spent much of my time really just on that, at that sort of level dealing on the boards of companies. There are not many lawyers anymore who I have found are on the boards of companies. Very few. But it must give you a very unique insight into how, first of all, the businesses work. And secondly, it must be of, of huge benefit for them to have someone with legal experience well, and legal, I suppose, legal uh, Yes, because the, the, the business world is not the legal world. Yeah. And corporate work is not the work that we think it is or the corporate thinking. Um, I've been a CEO twice. The first time was for a company called Profern. Called Profern Furnishes. You had to remember it. It was, nope. a, long t- it was a long time ago. Furniture, I'm assuming? Okay, yes, it was furniture. <laughs> Although at those times we used to think furniture companies were, they, they started saying that furniture companies were really banks. And that furniture was just a product, and that banking was really the big story. Um, that they do lay buys and that kind of thing. And, right? Well, it was, yes. It was, so you saw it as a little bank, and you know, that was Profern's thinking. Profern, it wasn't. Furniture store is still a furniture store. People right. go to furniture stores to buy furniture. <laughs> okay, so I don't think the bank, the bank idea worked. But we can see today it hasn't worked. And Profen was in trouble, so Gerald, who was their lawyer, asked me if I would go in because one of the, one of the casualties was a guy called Walker. He was a really, really competent guy, but he had to take the blame. Oh. So and I, that, I did that job for about four or five months. And then more latterly at Supergroup, when Supergroup ran into trouble in 2008, um, the, there was a huge issues around Supergroup at the time, and Larry, Larry and the financial director left, and there were really very few executives, so I was asked if I would act as an interim CEO. That gave me a lot of insight. I did it for about four months. And um, then I found Peter Mountford, who was working for one of the divisions, and then, then Peter could be appointed uh, CEO, and I became chairman. And you've remained chairman? I'm still chairman. And, and yeah. Supergroup is, is... Supergroup's flying, that's because of Peter. Great story. He's, I mean. a, he's a fantastic CEO, good implementation. I thought of some of the things we should do, but yeah. he implemented it. It's easy to think of ideas, not so easy to implement it must be gratifying to have been part of a, of a success story and a turnaround story like that because there are many people who look at the economy now and we're seeing businesses fall down left, right, and center. I'm sure you guys see them coming in here too and asking you for your expertise and asking you to help them and figure out what to do next. But sometimes when things are bad, there's an opportunity there to turn things around and there's an opportunity there to take advantage of the fact that everyone else is down as well and to plant the seeds for a future harvest. I mean, it's, it's tough. The, the right? trouble is if you, you know, if people are doing badly and you're measuring yourself against that, yeah. you know, that's, that's sort of a danger. Um, because it's, for me, it's a question of confidence. From when we had the, in the country in the last eight years, the confidence has been eroded. When the confidence comes back, the economy will come back. Yeah, well, because, we can only hope. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about what the law was like when you started. The sorts of traditions, the sort, the way people used to to practice, and and you used the word practice earlier instead of saying it's a 
it's a business. Um, what kinds of things drew you to it in the first place and made you happy to be a lawyer in the very beginning? And even if those things are still there, they might have changed. I think, I think the big difference is that we became lawyers to practice law and we enjoyed that. It was, it was a collegial atmosphere. It was a small, we were like a, there weren't that many lawyers around as there are today. So obviously, and we knew each other. We knew each other's weaknesses, we knew strengths, and we, and by and large, we got on well. We had characters. Um, there were a lot of characters there, and, and as article clerks, we weren't there, we, I mean, we had a band, and we used to go down to, to court to do the Section 65, which is a debtor's court. Yeah. I, I can tell you a funny story about that. Sure. Um, we used to, in Section 65, you had to appear before a magistrate. The debtor was never there. And you went through the whole procedure, served on such and such a date, no appearance to defend, and you used to ask for a warrant of arrest. And the magistrate used to give you the warrant of arrest, and that was... And you used to deal with a whole lot of these in and then, debtors' And the court. sheriff's meant to go and attach them. Yeah, but, yeah, but nobody... Well, this was uh, what they called it. You did it under Section 65. It was supposed to be an inquiry into the debtors' financial affairs. Okay. But the debtors never used to arrive. Very surprising if they arrived. And we used to have probably 10 or 20 each a day. And so I had a wager with a, with a colleague of mine who was also an article clerk that I could do it quicker than he could. That... I could say less than he could and I would get the order quicker. And we had the bet. But I knew the magistrates. So I went to see the magistrate and I told him about the bet. And uh, I said to him, look, I've got this bet going with Leon. He knew who my colleague is. We all knew each other. And I said, can I run through the matters with you now? And then when I get up, you'll have really seen the matters. He thought it was really good. <laughs> so I went through my matters. I had ten. So... The first one that he called up, I stood on my feet and he looked at me and he said, order granted. I didn't say a word. <laughs> <coughs> is so, it st- is, was, was that, that was probably, if it were, was ever reported, the shortest uh, No, but I, well, it wasn't, it wasn't an important, <laughs> I mean, it, it was our little court. It wasn't really did any he, did great he significance. Oh, yes, no, but I wasn't finished with him. Because what the magistrate did is he decided that he was going to extend this. So when Leon stood up, he took him through everything. When Leon says that summons were served and such and such a lady said, where was it served, Mr. Sarovitz? Who was it served by? And he asked him a number of questions, which he never did to anyone else. And then Leon sat down and he called my matter and I stood up and he said, warrant granted. And so this went on for the 10. Anyway, um, the, the bet was that Leon had to pay for breakfast because we always went to breakfast. At a, there was a cafe there called the Adura Cafe. We all went for breakfast. And he had to pay for the breakfast. And as he was about to pay, I told him. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, it, and it was that type of thing. Uh, my first job as an article clerk was to park my boss's car. And I used to sit in the office, and this happened for a year. He used to sit in a little office. Men used to pull, pull, come by in the morning. He used to throw his keys at me and say, Phil, will you park my car? And I said, that was my job. And like a valet? <clears throat> yes. No, well, I parked in the basement. You, it was in New Street South where all the buses were. So he used to throw it to me. I used to, he was parked in front. Yeah. I used to take it, drive around the corner, into the basement, come up, give me his keys back. So one day he came to me and he threw me keys and he said, Phil, I've just bought uh, Michael, who was his brother, a car. 
and you'll recognize it. It's as a, one of those Citroens that used to go up and down. Yeah. If you remember, suspension. <laughs> this was in 1969, 70. Yeah. So I went out. The car was still running. Um, because he, 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 I said, how am I going to get there? So he said, the key's in the car. And then he told me it's a, it's a, because he hadn't thrown them at me. Wow. He didn't tell me it's a Citroen and I can park it. So I got into it. Very nice car. And I drove it, and then I was going to turn to New Street South, but there was a bus that came down. It was a bus terminal. Somehow the bus had hooked on to the front of the car. Oh, no. But the bus kept going. And so this car was hitting all the park cars, the car I was in, and little bits were flying off. Oh, God. The conductor was frantically pulling for the bus. You know, you used to have a A sort of a – Well, it was like a – uh, an emergency brake. Yeah, an emergency brake that he used to pull so the driver could see that he needed to stop. But he didn't stop. <laughs> so by the time we, I had got to the corner, there was very little left of the car. In fact, there was nothing. There was my seat and me, the steering wheel, because these cars were made of plastic and it just fell apart. So <laughs> anyway, the the superintendent of the bus, um, bus terminus came along and he was very concerned because I think his driver had been drinking. So it was very clear to make it that they were responsible and there would be no problems that day. And, you know, the, the, nobody was hurt. Yeah. There were a lot of red cars. And I came to Victor and I said to him, he said, where were you so long? So I said, no, I had a little incident with the car. So he said, take it to Lou Apple. Lou Apple was a client of ours and he was a panel beater. Just take it to Lou. He didn't get excited, Vic. Very calm guy. But all that was left was. Well, you I said, Vic, no, I don't think you understand, Vic. There's no car left. <laughs> <laughs> so he says, What do you mean there's no car? I said, Vic, the car's in pieces. <laughs> anyway, came down to have a look. And he saw the funny side immediately. Yeah. <sighs> and he told his brother, Michael, I had brought you the car, but I haven't got it anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. But all was sorted yeah. out in the it end. It was like a highlight of my article. Incredible. But he carried on asking me to park his car. It didn't have an adverse effect. And and being an article clerk in those days, I mean you 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 were squeezed into a corner, piled under files, you were you were required to do whatever was necessary, laundry or parking car, as you say, or having to rush to court to rush to get a stamp here to go and see a client to pick something up. It was anything you were required to do, right? Yes, but that was all right, that was our job. Yeah, is, but that's not how it is for Article Clarks. Not now. anymore, no. No, there's things called, I don't know, human rights. Now, oh, no. Clarks, yeah, Clarks now have rights. So they, outrageous. If you ask them to do things for you, you know, it's… Outrageous. Yeah, it is outrageous. I mean, now, you, now who do you get to do those things? You have so to do them yourself. So you have to, well, I've got a, good, a really, really nice PA. Okay, she does well, a lot of stuff for me. You're lucky. Yeah. So tell me, when it comes to… The kind of culture in here, because I've met a lot of the people here at Blacksman's, and and while they're all excellent lawyers, no doubt, there are varying personalities, and they all have a different lean and a different bent and a different kind of uh, place in in, in the, the machinery of the firm. Um, how is it, from the point of view of a of a CEO, how difficult is it to try and herd cats effectively? That's what you probably have to do some of the time when it when it requires like the the culture of the firm. Well, it's 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 not that difficult because the the at the end of the day the partners who are partners here are partners for a reason. 
and they they partners because they they like the way we live, they enjoy the way we live. Yeah, and I think it and it, and it appeals to them. So the debates that we do have um, tend to be Socratic rather than adversarial. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't try, we don't try and convince each other. We'll give you our point of view. You'll give me your point of view, and that'll be the end of the argument. It won't be an argument. So we've had a, we've had a very good run. We've had we have very very few partners who have left for other firms. I can think of only two. Really? Yeah. That that has to be in all the time that I've been the CEO. That, ha- that has to be pretty rare. Yeah. In, They've left. Partners have left to go into business. Right. They left to go and join clients. Yeah, uh, but they haven't left to go and join another firm in numbers. How hard is it to become a partner? Um, well, you've got to you've got to first buy into the to the whole culture of issues as at Clarks because we don't we don't train a lot. We've we've grown mostly organically. Mm-hmm. I think we have the last merger in inverted commas, the small one was about twelve years ago. When mm. Colin Strom joined, because they, they were they were three four partners. That was our large merger, and since then we've just met uh, individual lawyers who we think would prefer this type of practice, and they've come, and um, they bought into it. It's becoming more difficult because it's becoming very expensive for younger partners with children. Mm. You know, in, I don't know when we were article clocks. I mean, my first salary was forty rand. A month. Hmm. And when I qualified, it became 120 rand. Wow, you must I can't have... ever remember worrying about money. That's <laughs> but, amazing. Yeah. And when I, and my children were educated, I, I, it cost very little. I think my, my education cost my father 10 shillings. Uh, 10 shillings would be equal to 10 <laughs> to, and he, and, to a half a pound. <laughs> and I'm sure, I'm that's, sure for him that's a was, half a rand, 50 it, cents. It was exorbitant. <laughs> well, you know, we ne- he never talked much, but he paid for my education. <laughs> um, today, uh, it's, it's a very expensive item. Yeah. So there's much, much more pressure on young lawyers today than there was in my day. I think it's much more difficult for them. And they're more. And... Um, and to stand out as a lawyer today is difficult. Well, that, that in, 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 in talk, my day, it wasn't that difficult. Well, you talk about those characters. I mean, you must have met some of these people who we now only read about, these people who were there at the, at the start of, of South Africa's law growing outside of… Well, I worked with two. I worked with two who were very well known. The first one was Joe Rubinibus. Joe Rubinibus was a legend. Yeah? He was an outstanding lawyer. Um, but he would act for anyone, down and out. It didn't yeah. matter. He would go to the magistrate's court and he'd appear in the maintenance court. He'd act for a banker then in the Supreme Court and he'd meet them both the same day. He was an incredible um, uh, and an incredible lawyer, very quietly spoken, never lost, seemingly never lost his temper. So, And I learned from Joe. And then there was Gerald Rubenstein. Gerald was a... Um, an entrepreneur, great entrepreneur, mm-hmm. and I learned a lot from Gerald. Gerald taught me about corporate life. So, so I was very lucky. I was in the right place at the right time. And how have you seen the, the court system change and judges change? 
You know, we've always had good judges and bad judges. We always have, ever since I've been practicing. Um, because judges, there's a political issue to it. Mm. And there was always. There was mm. always a political issue to it. And um, they're good judges and bad judges. So, and I think it's the, sa- it's the same. It used to be the same. I think it's, it's, it's changed. I think there's, a, there's less good judges than there used to be. <laughs> okay. Do you think that people are intimidated by lawyers? Because for ordinary members of the public, it can be a scary thing to... You usually meet lawyers when something horrible is happening in your life. Not necessarily. Well, not always. Not always. We've when got are the a bad things? No, there are lots, there are lots of good this. things. <laughs> there are lots of good things like, that uh, you can see lawyers. Like a contractual disagreement, a divorce, a murder. I mean, when? No, like getting, you can get married. <laughs> you, can, you can buy a business. Um, no, I think that I, I don't know why lawyers are intimidating. I don't find them intimidating, but then I'm a lawyer. They yeah. shouldn't be. They shouldn't be intimidating. You mentioned earlier when you were talking about your clients that a brave CEO would appoint Fluxmans because you need to understand that there's a, there's a different dynamic here and that it, it'll be about the, the matter. And it'll, it'll be, be about the matter. And he, he, there's a tendency. It's not show but, but it's not only – I mean, it's in everything. Mm. Um, people who are controlling something want to make sure that they can't be held responsible. Certain kind of people. Certain, well, a lot of a lot of uh, people, people like you don't seem to. Level. People like you don't seem to shirk responsibility, though. You've been you've been the the boss here for a long time, and by that I mean obviously equal among partners. But eighteen years. That's that's an incredibly long time to have to bear all those responsibilities, and you've obviously seen good and bad things happen. But for you, what would you like to? Well, I can tell you, I wasn't expected to live as long. Um, really, Phil? Is that yeah, because well, you ride a, a, a motorbike? I, no. How I became a CEO is a number of partners had died um, after becoming CEO, and it, about three or four. So when I was appointed, I smoked 40 cigarettes a day. <laughs> I was racing my motorcycle. Yeah. But I became CEO, and we thought the trend would continue. But we it, thought, ah, four years. But it didn't, Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm so very con- happy it's so it continued. I'm happy that yeah. you, you broke the trend. But but in that time, what do you think the the firm has become? Because there must be a part of you that is able, not due to your own achievement here or your own leadership here, but there must be some element of this that gives you great pride in seeing how other people have the 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 whole the whole yeah. firm gives me gives me pride. Um, for example, at our year-end function, mm. um, there are 200 people, and I look at them, and these are people who work for us. These are people who depend on us for a living, and and there's a there's a sort of a culture together, and I'm proud of that. So, it's not, you know, the lawyers are only a part of it. Yeah, Probably not the biggest well, part. That's the biggest part is just is our people, the people who work here. But that's an interesting point that you make because we do – we get – talking about the lawyers and we forget about all the other support yeah. staff that make a firm happen. Absolutely. I mean, all the PAs here who well, if number the lawyers, I'm sure. Um, no. No? No. Um, oh, yeah, the PAs, sorry, I thought you were talking about associates. Yes, they do. Yeah. So if we've got 120 staff and we've got 60 lawyers, so yeah, it's that two to one. And, but 
and and our employees are fantastic. Our staff are fantastic. So, you know, we try and make incorporate them into the firm because they really are the firm. There's some elements of your personality that I think are are very endearing. You don't like touting. You don't like the idea of boasting. You you guys have this lovely building, but it's still it's not a it's not showy like some of the. Well, we were our, we were brought up in that in that tradition. Is that what? Yes, you, I you still find it. I from. still find it embarrassing. I still find it distasteful to to say I'm a great lawyer, you know, and to say this firm can do great things. We, I just find it embarrassing because the because it goes against all my training. Um, we weren't allowed to advertise. I still think we shouldn't be allowed to advertise. But well, then I'll say it for you: you're a great lawyer. <laughs> this is a great firm. No, you're doing great things. It's um, 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 too soft to be, no. to be a great leader. I think it, I think I'm a good leader, but I'm not a great leader. But I don't know. I, I don't have the ruthlessness in me. No, mm. no. If you're saying you're great, you're being like Donald Trump, brassy and <laughs> no, noisy. But, and uh, but um, if I, if I look at what at what I think makes a good leader, yeah, um, I, I would uh, a great leader. I would say he's got to have. A sort of a ruthlessness about him. I I can't do any firing. Well, <laughs> you told me a story about how a, a, a very large and reputable law firm in America was taken over by a guy who had to come in and make some tough choices. Oh, it wasn't a law firm. Tell me that it story. Was a, it was a it was a corporate. Yeah. It was a large corporate, and it's the anyway they it had gone into. Recession, and it was threatened. Its whole existence was threatened, and the they brought in what they termed as, the, as a top ter- turnaround specialist. So the, there were about, I would think, twenty executive directors of this company, and they were now waiting for the turnaround specialist to arrive. And of course, they were nervous. Um, but he arrived, and he was nondescript, and uh, he he didn't look threatening. He didn't talk threatening. In fact, he talked very little. He spoke in a very quiet voice. And he said, no, he just, he just wants to get to know the place. So he walked around. For a month he walked around this building and he found out what everybody did and he talked to everybody. So when he came across typists, he would talk to the typists, ask them how long they'd been there, who did they work for, showed an interest in everyone. And gradually they lost their fear. And they became used to him and they said, well, I don't know how successful he'll be. He hasn't opened his mouth. And they felt that uh, they were all intimidating him instead of the other way around. But one day he came into the boardroom and he called them all and he laid out a map, um, schematic diagram of a building they were moving to and he told them that we're moving the firm. And can you please come back to me in a few days and just show me where you're going to put everyone? And he gave them the map, and they went to look at it, and they came back to him, and they said, it's impossible. We can't fit everybody in. He said, yes, I know that. <laughs> okay. So. And that was, that was the end and of And that was the jobs. end, yes. Yeah. yes. So he cut it, and that's what he did. Well, and, and it was a story that always impressed me. Uh, the other story that impressed me was Lee Iacocca from Chrysler, when they called him in. I don't know if you've heard of Lee Iacocca. Well, he was, a, I, I, he was, he was very well known in American corporate circles. And he was called in to save Chrysler, the motor company. And 
he he arrived at this uh, at Christ, and he found that some of his executives had not had a vacation for twelve years, and they were they were really really all very competitive people, but they were all very tense. Some of them, they hadn't had holidays, so he said to them that in future, it's compulsory for the executives to have six weeks off. And during that time, they're locking the office. Nobody will touch his matters. And so, and because people used to feel threatened if they went away, they'd come back and felt, well, they weren't needed. Mm. So, because somebody else had done their work. And I was, I was really impressed. And then he, he said something that the CEO doesn't have to be the cleverest guy in the room. He said, and he shouldn't, and doesn't have to be the highest paid. Because the people who are most valuable in a company are its salespeople. He was talking about Chrysler. And a good salesman is worth two good CEOs. Wow. Yeah, because that's what runs the business. And I was impressed by that. And saying, well, what, what is a CEO really? He, he doesn't have to be the smartest guy in the room. He has to be able to get people to do good work not to fight with each other. That's basically what he has to do. Well, there are two excellent examples of the kind of leadership. Yeah. It's sort of, uh, it, it, it makes your comment about good and great earlier seem like maybe it's a little, uh, it's a deft and humble thing that you're saying there. But I hope that the firm continues to grow. I've certainly spent a couple of, of good hours here talking to some very, very clever people. And some very nice people. Mm. They are nice. I was going to say that. The people, the, I hope, that our partners are nice. Um, the one thing I can't stand, I can't stand shouting. And I don't like to hear anybody shout. You can't shout at anybody who can't shout back. And that's basically the rule. Um, it is no purpose in, in a, well, it, for me, it's, it's a really a character defect if you're shouting at people who work for you. Can shout at people who you work for, but you can't shout at people who work for you. And I think that 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 really is what we we try and achieve here. It's it's happening. It's happening under our very eyes. Yeah. So thank you so much for giving us some of your time, and I hope that we'll continue this conversation and we'll be able to to meet okay. everyone else in the building who we haven't already met, and in time give everyone else an idea of how the place works what kind of people work here and yeah. what kind of work you do. Yeah. Thank I you. think you'd probably get the fairest idea if you speak to perhaps our candidate attorneys. I'm curious to. Yes. Is, because is, there a, is there a means you use to select these candidate attorneys? Yes. I mean, there are yes. a dime a dozen if they're coming out of varsity at the rate yes, that they it, are. Yes, there is. There's a, quite a procedure. I'm not involved in it. Uh-huh. Um, we've got a committee right. that decide these things. So I don't decide if they do. But it's, it's complicated. I think it is, yes. And that's they do. They by and large, they do a good job because right. most of the people that are articled here stay with us. And that's how we've grown. Talent spotting. Yeah. Thank you, Phil. You've been listening to Fluxman's Attorneys for the Love of Law. For more information, go to fluxmans.com.